Ready to go. VM. Welcome to NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. This is our special edition STS-125 podcast. We wanted to capture this real important story. We're here with Mike Weiss at NASA Goddard in the clean room. And actually, it's kind of an interesting story because back in September, right before Hubble SM-4 launched, uh, the Hubble science computer failed. Right. And, and, and I was sad. So I, I was in mourning and I called Mike to- to were shocked. To express <laughs> yes. my condolences, if you will. <laughs> and he, he surprised us with a lot of information. So Mike, what exactly did you and the Hubble team do when you were faced with this uh, complex problem? We were all loaded into Atlantis, all 22,300 pounds of our hardware. We were ready to go. It was 17 days from launch. It was a beautiful, spectacular fall day. We were all driving to the airport to fly to Houston for our very last simulation. And we got a call from our control center. It said, we just think we had a hard failure on the science computer. You guys better turn around and come back to the control center. So we all jumped on our cell phones, called each other, and we decided almost everybody would go back to the control center and deal with that failure. A couple of us flew to Houston just so we could continue the simulation. What actually does it do for the Hubble? It is the thing that sends all the commands to the instruments and takes the science data and formats it and sends it back to the vehicle for transmission to the ground. So all the commands and all the data flow through the SIC and DH. So, so in other words, without this device? Without it, we could have a fully functioning spacecraft orbiting the Earth, but no science data flowing. And Hubble's got five science instruments on board. The agency made the instant decision to postpone the mission, give us a fighting chance of pulling the flight sparer out of storage and getting it ready for flight. And the team instantly responded. We were pulling hardware out that very day. The folks in the water tank were looking at the procedures for doing this job. They were, they were modifying hardware in real time at the water tank. I, I think it really demonstrates you know, the real resiliency of this agency to respond to situations like this. How long had that been in storage? Since about 1992. That's when we took <laughs> delivery of it. The flight spare was, was taken delivery in 1992. We absolutely didn't want to fly this mission and leave Hubble Space Telescope zero fault tolerant to science. You know, there was just no way the agency could do that. So we took a little bit of time to figure out what we needed to do to reconfigure what we had for flight, you know, get it tested, and then get it back down to Kennedy, and also figure out how to get it on board this flight and get it into the mission. You know, that was no easy task. Uh, we knew that with a little extra time, the crew had a fighting chance of getting a little more efficient at doing their EVA task. We actually brought the crew up here once a month from September to now to continue training on the instrument repairs and on SIC and DH. So the team didn't stand down at all. We were plenty busy. We went back into the water tank four more times, continued to train, did a lot of testing here at Goddard on the SIC and DH, environmental testing, performance testing, brought the crew in here so they could see the actual flight hardware, take their flight tools, put them on the flight hardware. The crew went back into our hi-fi simulator and continued training on the ACS repair task. And uh, we actually came up with a few 
creative ways to make that task go a little bit faster. Take us through your mindset, and you get the word that there's a failure on Hubble. I mean, what is going through your mind at that point as a manager? How are we going to do this daunting task in just seven months? On one of our previous flights, we had a reaction wheel fail three months before the flight. Okay. And we managed to pull that out of storage, get it tested, actually flew it in the crew cabin and, oh, wow. and got that on board. It was actually the last mission. Right, SM3B, Mike Massimino did that task. We know this team knows how to respond very quickly, and we also know they are extremely creative. As a manager, we knew to just give our team time and let them think and let them work. But the great thing about this mission is you have Mike Massimino, who is Astro Mike for your Twitter fans out there. So you have Mike Massimino and John Grunsfeld, who, who's actually serviced this Hubble before. Twice. Twice. So you've had some good experience out there, of course, with uh, Scooter and Ray J uh, as a pilot. And then, of course, Megan, uh, Mike, and Drew, who are going to be the new astronauts. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's really interesting to think that they've gone through this before. It, I mean, is it a good idea to have Mike? I mean, maybe he's jinxing the whole thing, you know? I, I mean, I don't, I, don't tell him I said well, that. He he, from space. He, he's yeah. tough. <laughs> he's a tough, tough guy. I mean, that's just a fantastic story. And that's why we wanted to come talk to you today because uh, about this. Because in my mind, it was over. But it just goes to show that your team gets together, and the second you know, everybody just kind of pulls together and and then gets it done. Yeah, they responded brilliantly, and, and they also came up with a way to get it on board our equipment, which was already down at Kennedy. We had taken it out of Atlantis. Fortunately, there was a spot, of, a physical spot on the mule carrier, the multi-use logistics equipment carrier, the one that flies in the back. <laughs> the folks at Kennedy figured out how to mechanically attach it. The folks here were testing it. The astronauts were training. The EVA folks were figuring out how to do the task, and we just walked through it. And at the end of the day, we delivered it early to Kennedy. We got it on board the mule. The crew went down there and saw the flight hardware and flight configuration. And right now, our flight hardware is ready. Hey, Mike, that was a fascinating story. Uh, want to go ahead down to the launch? You bet. Let's, let's go do it. Head to Kennedy. You're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. Well, let's go. Yeah, let's uh, go. Uh, Lair, uh, luggage? Your luggage? See you later. Uh, damn, with all this luggage, you should try to squeeze some of this in the payload bay. Oh, that's, that's not good. Uh, thank goodness we're only going to Florida. Hey, welcome back to NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. Hey, we're here to talk about an exciting program called HITHERM. And with us, we have Debbie Tomac, who is the project manager, and Tom Horvath, the principal investigator. What is HITHERM? I mean, I did my research, but I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. HITHERM is an acronym. We know we use a lot of acronyms with mm -hmm. NASA, so of course we had to have one here. But our acronym stands for Hypersonic Thermodynamic Infrared Measurements. Makes sense. So what's that mean, Tom? <laughs> Well, actually, what we're trying to do is take a picture of the shuttle when it re-enters, where we can actually look at and infer from the picture how hot the, the vehicle was, measure its surface temperature. Oh, wow. And what's the purpose of that? After the Columbia accident investigation, um, we had a sensitivity to damage the, the shuttle. The lower surface of the shuttle here is actually comprised of over 10,000 of these little individual tiles that are actually bonded to the lower surface. This is a non-damaged one. Yeah, yes. This, this is what protects the shuttle astronauts from the heat. From the heat, yes, okay. 
Um, now, what's the difference between this tile and the one here? I see a protuberance. That's the dual, uh, the door stop uh, version of the well, speed bump. Speed bump. Yes, very good. Well, when these tiles are butted butted up against each other, uh, it sits like this, and you don't even see this thermal barrier. That's but occasionally during launch, there's a lot of shaking, rocking, and rolling. Can't imagine that. Uh, on, on <laughs> what would be causing that? <laughs> and what happens is this gap filler will actually, you know, gotcha. come okay. out of the flow. And we'll see that on orbit with the pictures. You guys have seen, you know, a mm -hmm. rock, a big boulder in the middle of a stream, and when the uh, water level's really high, the water level's flowing over the rock, but it's still pretty smooth. Okay. But when the water level's really low, that boulder now sticks out into the out of the water and creates a lot of turbulence. White water okay. for a kayaker, they love that. Right. But for an aerothermal guy like myself, <laughs> we're astronauts. We're not we're happy about that, that as as media and astronauts. This is re is representing a. Gap a gap filler. We okay. wanted to understand better what the flow was, how it was behaving with these gap fillers. You guys have heard in the media the gap filler problem. We even saw an EVA by Steve Robinson where yes. they repair, repaired one. So what we have done is uh, we've called this the detailed test objective, a DTO, BLT, boundary layer transition, where uh, Hytherm is a sister experiment to this BLT DTO. Sorry for all the acronyms. BLT? I gotta have, I'm, I'm hungry now. We need lunch. Boundary layer transition. Yeah. Okay. So what they've done is they've taken a tile, they've altered it, and put a fixed protuberance on there. It's a quarter inch. Uh, the, yeah, the Correct. image you're looking at here was on a, taken on a scaled model, but, but approximately that okay. size, in our wind tunnels here at Langley. Okay. And we actually put a bump at model scale in the appropriate location on the wing. Okay. And this is actual data that we actually measured. This is what from the camera tunnel. saw from a wind tunnel okay. in our ground test facility. I mean, I understand how you did that in a wind tunnel, but with STS-119, you're actually coming in out of orbit. Why did you guys demonstrate uh, yeah. how you took that picture? Yeah. And, we can. And I can fly the, yeah. the shuttle. Sure, because I'm a skilled uh, shuttle oh, oh, pilot. You're, oh, you're going to be? Yeah, oh. I'll be the shuttle. Is this your first reentry? Uh, no. No, I'm actually very skilled. I've done this is in the simulator many times. Yeah. Okay. And we have a scaled okay. P3 alignment. Now, granted, it is in the simulator. You've undocked from the space station, and you're getting ready to do the burn on the, the engines. Deorbit burn. And so I do that. In. That sort of pitches me over like this. Yes. Right? I, I bleed off a little speed. Right. So you're initially at about, what, 400,000 feet? Yes. Coming in. Okay. Mach 25. And now I want you to see my good side. What's the P3 doing? The P3 is coming in. It's running a racetrack pattern. It's at about 28,000 feet. You're at, right when it captures it, about 180,000 feet. You're coming in. It's I come swinging in like around. This, yes. What we do is we bring it around to what we call the closest approach. Okay. Now all the cameras are right here on the starboard side of the P3. Okay. So all the cameras are now looking at the belly. At this point, we're probably 23 nautical miles. Well, so I was curious about that because the scale uh, isn't correct here, but 23 nautical miles capturing the belly. It's kind of flying tandem with it. Yeah. Capturing total of about eight minutes, and it's running kind of like a, a fat paperclip pattern. Racetrack right. pattern is what we'd call it. So we're still able to see the belly even then when it's out here. The cameras are still have somewhat of an optical view. Now, so, now you mentioned that, that la on uh, the last mission where you actually got some data that it was uh, there were weather concerns that allowed for a full even shot right. here. Right. There were a lot of high cirrus clouds where we were at. Okay. So they were concerned that we were going to be we weren't going to get anything. Okay. But the sky somewhat opened up. They were able to capture horizon to horizon total of 9 minutes of video from the 180,000 feet here. when you were up there Coming running down. the race coming down, closest approach, 23 nautical miles, swing. And, and the nice thing about it is that we were able to see the belly the whole time. The challenge really was is if you think, Debbie, your, your aircraft is traveling, what, around 300 miles an hour. 
when the shuttle's flying overhead and when we're looking at it at closest approach, mm -hmm. the shuttle's traveling over Monkey. in one second over a mile. Wow. wow. In one second. So For this particular STS-119, we, we flew a one-orbit wave off. So this crew had planned to run the racetrack down south of, north of Cuba, south Key West. They had to deploy to a different location less than 90 minutes because of the one orbit. So they had to change what they call their test support position. So they had to redeploy to that different location, then start that pattern up and wait for it to swing by, having been fed a whole new trajectory based on the one orbit wave off. So it, it, the expertise of this crew flying this P3, you, you cannot, you know, there's just nobody like them. After this, at this stage, then we're, I'm, the yeah, orbiter's off to land, and right. then where do you land? And then the P-3 also lands at Kennedy. They call it the skid strip, or they land at Patrick Air Force Base. It depends on where there's availability. And then we have part of our high therm team is deployed on, down there also, and we upload the data okay. from uh, their data systems on board. All right, yeah. well, I'm going to land back at the studio yeah. desk. Thanks for that demonstration. That was pretty cool. Orbiter yeah, landed fine. safety job, safely, by got, the way. Got the gear down. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got the gear down. Everybody's home safe. What did the data tell you compared to your wind tunnel data? Oh, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, I think within a few hours, Debbie holds up her cell phone. Our very first image. And, and what was so exciting was that the whole mission planning phase of it, we thought we were going to capture what you're seeing right there on that surface. With, this, the, with the protuberance yeah. right Correct, here. The turbulent wedge created by the fixed protuberance on the tile. What we saw in our very first images is that not only had we captured that, which was our stretch goal, but we had captured what we call an ABLT, an asymmetric boundary layer transition that was occurring. Yeah, something, something a very small imperfection could be maybe as something as small as a tenth of an inch, and it caused uh, uh, an area of high temperature heating much larger than what you see on that wing. So most of the which vehicle, we did the not expect to see. Vehicle, it encompassed, right. it enveloped the whole. Very dramatic. Wing. There are like a handful of thermocouples, temperature sensors uh, located at strategic spots on the on the bottom of the shuttle, and we're able to actually correlate, you know, the appearance of, you know, when this. Uh, area of turbulence appeared and we can actually see the orbiter deflect its control surfaces. Now, there was not, never any safety of flight issue, but you can actually see the shuttle responding to computer sensing. the loading because of the BLT, yeah, the yeah. asymmetric. Now the ABLT, did that affect your data at all that you're trying to look at? A actually no, it didn't. Uh, you know, the, it was actually on the opposing wing. So I kind of, we viewed it, the team viewed it as actually bonus data. So not only did we, did we capture uh, the uh, turbulent, the heating temperatures within the uh, flight experiment, but we actually now have data that we can go back and, and, and look at our tools to predict uh, you know, when this occurs and when it does occur, how hot the shuttle gets. How long did it take you to figure out kind of what it was that caused that? I mean, did, you know... Instantly. I, oh. mean, I, I mean, based on our ground-based tests, we've done a lot of testing that was similar to that. And I think some of the team thought that perhaps it was a, a sun reflection uh, mm -hmm. originally, but when Debbie... That's what the cast glance yeah. crew thought at first. As they were capturing it, they thought it was just the sun right. reflecting off the surface. But but De now De Debbie pulled me aside and she showed me that name. I knew right away, right away yeah. what it was. So, so High Therm pretty much uh, knocks one out of the ballpark on the STS-119. On, on the first go-around. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's awesome. And what's interesting, I, we just demoed the uh, pattern of cast glance, but they actually, because they were able to have such a good optical view at those higher mocks, we actually see that ABLT develop and fully, fully develop to full transition that, that, over that trip. Important. And that's, that's, that's something that's never been captured before, that to, type of to development. Know, to know when it happens and when it does happen, you know, what is the area of influence. I understand that you're going to be doing, uh, not with the 
uh, with the protuberance, but you're actually going to be imaging Atlantis in STS-125. This time around, we're going to actually, in addition to the aircraft, we're going to actually have a land-based telescope okay. that will be uh, sitting on the west coast of Florida. The tricky part about high therm, we have all these optical assets, and we get these trajectories fed to us the last minute, and we've got to deploy them to the right spot. I just right. see you guys in an F-150 driving around with a telescope <laughs> on the back, and they're moving down to Pack it up. Kind of like from the movie off. Twister. Yeah. 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 Just trying to find the right spot. Yeah. 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 Like that yeah. with the mobile yeah. team. Yeah, that's right. We I should be on that team. We, we could maybe, put you down there. Maybe we should. So, so we'll be seeing in the future high therm uh, being involved in uh, constellation launch, uh, uh, Aries One X, perhaps, or or eventually Aries One in general and Aries Five. That is, if Debbie and I do our job correctly. Correct. This is very exciting stuff, and I uh, just want to uh, give a shout out to Christina J and the Inspire program, and Kirsten mm -hmm. who made the Inspire program, and even little McKinley who wants to be uh, an astronaut fr from Tennessee. Well. These guys don't just show up and get a job at NASA and are told what to do. They're uh, inspired. Uh, they do this inspiring work, and these kids were inspired uh, to eventually come in and do the kind of things you're doing for the space program. So thanks to you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Glad we could talk about it. And, and hopefully we'll maybe see some of you guys down at STS-125 Launch. That's right. I'll be there. All right, well, hopefully we'll catch up with you guys. And Mike Weiss, uh, you're watching NASA Edge. Hey, an inside and outside look at all things NASA. I really want to get on that truck that's going around with the telescope. No, I'm So did Blair show you uh, his new custom space telescope? Yeah, he thinks because we work on Hubble that he can just ask for advice anytime. Oh, there's Blair. Hey guys. Dude, he's doing a little stargazing? That's funny. No, I'm about to make some modifications to my telescope, uh, but I'm a little concerned about violating the factory warranty uh, and whatnot. So, uh, what do you think, Mike? Well, I think it could definitely use some help. And, uh, you know, right about now I'm thinking an NBL run. Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory? Yeah, you know, the place where we practice procedures underwater. What? Ooh. You think he can work underwater with that? It works for our team in Houston, but uh, you think he'll remember to come up for air? Hey, as we uh, stand here in front of Pad 39A, we see the beautiful Atlantis right here on the pad. Uh, RSS rollout just took place. Uh, what are some thoughts you have? Well, it's just it's just an awesome feeling. You know, Hubble's been a real roller coaster, ups and downs, ups and downs. This is a real up. You know, we're going to Hubble for the last time. Such a magnificent vehicle right there on the launch pad. The payload's all ready to go. Next time anybody sees it, it'll be 304 nautical miles above our head. You know, two magnificent flying machines will be united for the very last time. Right. Um, you know, I, th I think on a personal level, it's, it's like sending a kid off to camp. Right. You know, you drop your kid off, they go off and explore, you come pick them up, and it takes forever to extract out of them what their experiences were. Well, we're about to go pick our kid up and then drop them off for the very last time. Oh, that's a great analogy. And, and it'll probably take forever to figure out everything that Hubble has found. Now, after the launch tomorrow, what's your role? Uh, those of us on the Hubble program that are here will immediately fly to Johnson Space Center. We'll be on console in the Hubble control room as flight controllers. Right. And then uh, right before landing, a couple of us will fly back here to cover the landing event here at Kennedy. Now, Mike, you've been working on Hubble for quite a while now. What's going to happen once Hubble is, uh, you completed your mission? Time to move on to another project? It's well, it's going to be a sad day, or? It, it'll be sad and it'll be happy at the same time. You know, a lot of people say, you know, how do you feel? This is the end. I don't think this is the end at all. I think it's the beginning of what NASA does next. And NASA's going to go on with the exploration program. 
know, we're going to go back to the moon. We're going to go beyond the moon. Hubble has always been a pathfinder. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning of what NASA does next. And right. we all get to see a bit of history tomorrow with the last mission to Hubble, one of the last flights of the United States Space Shuttle. You know, and then as we leave Hubble for the very last time, there'll probably be a lot of tears in people's eyes waving goodbye. But at the same time, it's the beginning of what we do next. Hey, you ready for the launch? Oh yeah, Ron gave me a camera. I'm covering it for NASA Edge exclusive. Well, cool, camera. we got a spot right here. Let's go. Yeah, because look, they show everybody. No, they, right everybody here. thinks they got a. I got an angle, and I'm gonna go shoot it. Now trust Where? me. I've got a special spot. It's perfect. Just, just trust me on this, okay? I know what I'm doing. STS 125, right here on the cards, buddy. I'm gonna go see Ron. All right, you go do that. Ron gave me one of the prize NASA Edge cameras. I'm NASA Edge Cam 1 for the Hubble launch, uh, shuttle launch. Oh, yeah, it's, I think it, yeah, it's on, good, yep, oh, there we go, we got the camera, got the, everything's working, there's the shuttle. Nice, nice lightning protection system. A lot of commotion out here at uh, launch day, getting lots of, where is it, up Oh, there, there we go, oh, there we go, bring it into focus. Sort of automatic. It's like you, you, anybody could shoot this kind of video. So all, all set for the launch. I wish people would be quiet though. It's kind of hard to hard to concentrate. Oh yeah, this is gonna be gold. Nobody saw this spot. Perfect for the launch. And uh, looks like there are some fire ants around here, but I'm ready. I can I can take one for the team. Ah, this is this. I'm cramping up. I hope this happens soon. Oh yeah. It wasn't That's a cool good. launch. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic. I got it. Everything's right in line, so it should be. Yeah. Perfect. Where did the shuttle go? It's good to see, right up there. Where? But it's still on the pad. How did... Are you sure you're not using some filters? That doesn't make sense. 